Hey everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen and I'm your host. I've got a great conversation for you today. Uh, very timely. This one's going to be really helpful. It's why we call it the EquipCast. We're going to talk about abortion. How do you enter into a conversation on abortion? We have this cultural moment now with the uh, Supreme Court decision that allows us to talk about abortion. So I sit down with Catherine Burrow of the Abortion Dialogue Academy, She's going to give you great stuff. Uh, you're going to get a 30-second argument on how to help change people's hearts and minds about abortion. Uh, we're going to talk about how love comes first and what not to say. To refer to the child as a fetus and not a baby. A little counterintuitive. Hang with it. Listen. You're going to love today's episode. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Catherine Burrow, mm -hmm. welcome to the EquipCast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. I am, I am so glad you're here too. We've been actually having way too much fun chatting and we're like, oh, we should actually probably just like stop and hit record <laughs> and, and start the show. So... For everybody's benefit, give people a little introduction as to like who you are, your, your faith journey. When did you first encounter Jesus? Oh, okay. Um, well, I was a cradle Catholic growing up, but I became kind of agnostic. I'd say then about high school, I had that classic, you know, loss of faith journey, yeah. a lot of it around the problem of suffering. But at the time, though, I was still very, very pro-life because for me, pro-life was always a it was a human rights thing. It wasn't related to my faith at all. And so I actually got heavily involved um, in pro-life activism and I entered with a pro-life organization. And it was through the process of actually hanging out with a bunch of very devout Catholics and Protestants that I refound my faith, ironically, through pro-life work. Actually, that's how I met my husband, too. He was very anti-Catholic when I met him, but he taught me a lot about Jesus. And then he read himself into the church. So I joked that I was a cradle Catholic that fell out of the cradle and then he threw me back in and jumped in with me. So Wow. I mean, as you talk, okay, not the part about meeting your husband. I, can, I have a hard time relating to, to that part. But I had a very similar story. I called myself agnostic later years of high school and, and then especially early college. And the one thing that didn't go away was my pro-life convictions. Mm -hmm. Because I just, I had a benefit of just being well-formed. I think it was unique in, in that regard. Well-formed that I'm like, yeah, I, I know that's a baby and that's just not okay. And when I had given up almost everything else, like literally, that was the one thing that kind of remained as a little peg and an anchor to to keep me in my faith. And it was, it was a, yeah, it was a gateway back for me as well. You know, we've actually seen that with students that we end up persuading on campus, some that aren't even cradle Catholics, some mm -hmm. that just are came from no faith at all, yeah. that they'll meet us, they'll be pro-choice, they'll change their mind, they'll become pro-life. But then a lot of our volunteers are Newman kids. So it's pretty natural that they then get invited yeah. to the pro-life club, to Newman. And so we have a decent number who are going through RCA right now who were, when we first met them, pro-choice. So that was an interesting part of our ministry that I never anticipated because our arguments are yeah. secular, but to see how many like converts to the faith we would get kind of as a byproduct. So yeah. that's always uh, well, been fun. I, can I mean, I can totally see that mm -hmm. because you, you don't have to know much about the Catholic Church to know that she's pro-life. Mm -hmm. And if that's not where you're at, you, you kind of don't feel like you fit. Mm -hmm. And so I can, I can totally see how removing that obstacle would be a really 
just a huge help in, in helping people come back. So, Catherine, you've already referenced it. Tell us a little bit about your day job, right? You work for the Abortion Dialogue Academy. Mm-hmm. Tell I love us, that you call it abor- a day job. Like I have a secret oh, night, and, and <laughs> a a secret secret night, night job. Night like job. I'm a, I fight crime you undercover. You sing jazz, don't you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tell people about the Abortion Dialogue Academy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So the Abortion Dialogue Academy, um, I co-founded it with my husband back in 2014. And our mission is to end abortion by changing our culture. Because what we found actually is that a lot of people are pro-choice simply because they've never heard a compelling secular argument against abortion. And so Mm -hmm. our mission is essentially to change that. We do that with two programs, our college conversations program, where we have college students who go out and present our seven-minute argument to their pro-choice peers and change their mind on the topic. We see about one in five. In seven minutes. In seven minutes. They change their mind. One in five becomes pro-life in seven minutes. I know. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that. (laughs) Yeah. And then additionally, we have our youth presentation program where we take those same arguments that work with the college students and we actually present them at high schools, middle schools, and youth groups. So that is my day job. (laughs) And night job. And And night job. It's it's my life calling. And weekend. Yeah. Yeah. God was like, you're going to do this with your life. I feel very much like Jonah. He was like, this is what you're doing. You're going to Nineveh. So, Catherine, I want to go back to something you said. You said, end abortion by changing the culture. Mm -hmm. Say more about that. Yeah. So we at the Abortion Dialogue Academy recognize that like we're very excited about what's going to happen. I'm so excited with Mm -hmm. I I have a lot of hope and optimism. I'm one of those like, oh, it's definitely going to be overturned people. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited to see the laws change because I know that pro-life laws will save lives. But we also recognize that, you know, there is the abortion pill. There will be states that will mm-hmm. be holdout states. And that if we really want to end abortion, not just make it illegal, we have to persuade people on this topic. We have to to make them pro-life. Because what we found in our experience is a lot of times when a girl is pregnant and in crisis, it's it's her peers that she's turning to for that advice on what to do. And what we want is we want a culture where those peers are not like, hey, we're going to drive to Chicago. Hey, I'm going to find this illegal drug dealer to get you the abortion pill. Those peers are like, oh, I'm going to support you. Like, let's go to the nearby pregnancy resource center. So that's kind of our ideology and our our mission. Yeah, that's huge. Okay. So that's a great (laughs) transition here. We've got a couple of disclaimers here. First off, as we are recording this, disclaimer number one, the Supreme Court decision on the Dobbs case is still unknown, unless I mean, like I haven't checked my email in the last five minutes. But <laughs> as far as what well, we don't know right now, nobody in this room, we do not yet know what the decision will be. And regardless of what the decision is, it's not going to end abortion, even if the federal laws make it illegal or mm-hmm. return the decision back to the state. So that's disclaimer number one. Two, I, I love the way you said that, like laws matter and they will change lives or save lives, but they don't change hearts. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to change the culture and really end abortion and really save, I mean, the magnitude of lives until we change hearts. And maybe the third disclaimer, although it's not probably where we're going to focus our conversation, but our care for women in need, and by that I mean financial, social, spiritual, that is never been more important. And for, for those of us, you know, here in the Archdiocese of Omaha, we're working for my boss, love you, Archbishop. Uh, Archbishop Lucas has a vision. And that mission uh, and that vision, well, mercy is, is a huge, huge part of it, right? One church encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. And I mean, that's just like something that like that need is only increasing 
because I, I think as we were, we were talking earlier, the potential for abortion to go underground and for the women who are in need to feel perhaps even more isolated and desperate is real. And we have to rise to the occasion to meet them right where they're at, right in the midst of their needs. Um, and we want to offer those as disclaimers, because even if even if that's not going to be the central focus of our conversation, that's the context and kind of a key assumption mm. that we come into this conversation with. Yeah, 100%. We have to stop the demand by changing the culture, but we also need yeah. to have that support there for women who find themselves in these situations. Yeah. yeah. I love I love the way the Archbishop talks about this. I mean, it's just very simple. He's a great communicator. He's like, you know, what if, what if when a woman was in need, her first thought was, it's going to be okay. There's some Catholics who live down the street. I mean, oh gosh, that would be so beautiful. So, I got chills. That was, yeah. yeah I mean, it really yeah. is. It's just a, it's a very simple way of like, gosh, what if that were our, our MO? And in many ways it is, but what if it was other people's experience and like word association? You know, what if it was like Catholic? Like, Ooh, mercy. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Okay. So, Catherine, give us some context here. To start with, tell us a little, a little bit about the state of the pro-life movement here in the United States, because the world has turned a few times since Roe v. Wade became federal law. Yeah, I can't necessarily speak to the whole U.S., but I can tell you at least what we see when we do kind of statistics on the college campuses and in the high schools. So what we're seeing is when our students survey on the college campuses in UNO and UNL, about 75% of the college students are pro-choice. 75% are pro-choice. Of Nebraska kids. This is UNL, Nebraska UNO. college students, UNL, UNO are pro-choice. And wow. the way we define pro-choice is we have a survey. It asks, should abortion be legal in five situations? Sex selective, Down syndrome, teen mother, poverty, and rape. And if they answer like legal in any, we classify that as as pro-choice. So it's they think it should be legal in at least at bare minimum, One but a lot of times they think it should be legal um, in multiple situations. So when you take that 75%, it breaks into about a third, I would call extreme, like yeah. it should be legal in every single case. I don't care if it's just because they don't want a girl. A third then is what we call moderate. So it should be legal like for poverty and teen mother, but like not Down syndrome. That's like eugenics. Um, Mm -hmm. And then a third would be like what we call mushy, like just legal and like rape, just the extreme cases. Mm -hmm. So that's the statistics we see in the college campuses. And then in the high schools, we've only got to survey two high schools, their entire Mm -hmm. uh, student body. Um, But we saw about 50 to 60 percent was either pro-choice or what we call undecided. So when we ask them, should abortion be Mm -hmm. legal or not? If they mark legal, it's pro-choice. If they mark unsure, we call that an undecided. And a lot of those students are very at risk also for when they get to college becoming much more pro-choice than they are in their, you know, junior or senior year yeah. of high school. And these are Nebraska high schools. Mm-hmm. They're I'm, Catholic I'm, schools. Yeah, I was, I was like, oh, I was afraid to ask yeah. the question. Catholic schools. Yeah. Pius is where we get some of the data from. And then Bishop Helan. I okay. guess that's technically not Nebraska. No, but, but I'll, we'll get more data as we do more all school assemblies. But those yeah. are the only two all school that we've done. We've done a lot of youth groups, um, but that obviously doesn't tell you. Yeah. An entire. Well, yeah, that's a very selective. Mm-hmm. But even, I mean, when you think about, it, I mean, even, you know, serving a Catholic, you know, students at a Catholic school, that's already what you would expect to be a home game and a very like selective audience. Yeah, they are compared to the college students, less pro-choice. Sure. But yes, there are there are a decent number of them that that are. I think it's can be a little surprising. It was actually funny because I sent out an email about some of the statistics and one of our prayer partners is a theology teacher, mm-hmm. I believe at Gross actually. And he was like, 
I wonder what my theology class believes. So he did an anonymous survey. I don't know what questions he asked, but he was like, 40% of them support abortion being legal. And he was just like so shocked. He's like, when can you come and speak? So yeah. So I guess for the theology teachers out there, you can always ask. Yeah. No, I mean, I have teens. Still have a teen. No, I still have three teens. My one of my teenagers is about to become a twenty-something. But yeah, and sometimes I was a you know most of our listeners know I was a college minis- uh, campus missionary, and so I you know thought I knew. And several times, to my dismay, my teens are like, "Dad, my friends don't believe that anymore." Too much to go into like the particular issues, but they were like things that are like, "Well, surely they still believe that." They're like, "No, they don't." I'm like, "Oh my goodness." Yeah, and sometimes they're pro. They wear kind of a pro-life face, but they're not. We actually had a really interesting case where a future seminarian that we met on campus was pro-choice. We share a video of this on our website. He was a classic, gone to Catholic school, but then he went and was around a lot of kids who were really smart and they were pro-choice. And he felt like, oh, this pro-life thing is only my faith and I can't force it on other people. So then he became pro-choice in college while discerning seminary, which was so surprising that our volunteer who ended up persuading him walked up to him and he's like, oh, well, you're going off to seminary. So you're obviously pro-life. Let me just explain our argument just just for fun, not realizing yeah, that in that moment he was, it was needed. evangelizing yeah. and he completely changed his mind and is now solidly pro-life and very grateful for that conversation that we kind of got to intervene. So I think that's one of the real needs of our our youth presentation program is because we've since then we've actually presented at his youth group Mm. and it's like if we would have had that program several years earlier it wouldn't have gotten as far as it got with that Mm -hmm. young man we could have nipped it in the butt back in high school when he first got encountered these arguments because the truth is they're going to hear the pro-choice arguments it's just do we want them to hear it off in college without any kind of response without any yeah yeah so Catherine, talk about, because I I can imagine some people listening now who are like, wait a minute. And we did kind of address it at the beginning, but like the Supreme Court decision, if it overturns Roe versus Wade, why do we still need to be persuasive? Or put another way, just more generally, how do we take advantage of the moment that this Supreme Court decision, whatever it ends up being, how do we take advantage of the moment that it provides? Yeah, I think kind of two answers to that question. So the first being, we need to still be talking about this issue for a couple of reasons. First of all, my prediction not being you know able to see the future or anything mm-hmm. um, is that it'll probably go back to the states. And so in states mm-hmm. like Nebraska, there'll be many states where elections are going to become very important. And mm-hmm. we need to be persuading people to be, you know, helping us elect politicians who are going to to make it illegal in our state because it's I mean, even in this state, it's not a slam dunk. No. And then additionally, we have to be persuading people because there will be holdout states and there will be the underground kind of illegal abortion scene. And so we need to be able to reach people so that when women find themselves in crisis, like they like you said earlier, that they're like, I can go to a Catholic for help. I don't need to go to this Mm -hmm. dangerous, sketchy abortion clinic or drive to California or New York. But along with the second part of your question, I actually don't remember. You asked two questions. What was the second part of your question? I'm trying to stop stacking questions. (laughs) I I, I answered the first one. What was the second part? Well, like, why does it still matter to talk about the legality of abortion if it's going if it's going to be overturned? And I mean, you kind of address that. Yeah. What was the second part? The state state laws. How do we take advantage of the moment? Oh, that was it. That's a great question. I knew I wanted to answer it because it was good, but I couldn't hold it in my brain long enough. Yeah. How do we take advantage? This issue is going to be pushed to the forefront in Mm -hmm. a very real way. I personally 
have seen that already start to happen. I got a kind of frantic phone call from a theology teacher who Mm. had been teaching the abortion curriculum for years. And this year in particular was so shocked at how much pushback she was getting from the curriculum. And I think part of it was because of everything that's happening legally. Because for a lot, it's really easy to sit there and not annoyed at your theology teacher when you feel like abortion rights are just a slam dunk. But yeah, the, it doesn't matter. It doesn't Nothing, matter. Never just change. let the religious lady say what she's going to say is kind of the attitude yeah. they have. But now that there actually is a real chance that abortion could become illegal in our state, a lot of these kids who have historically been very quiet are now telling you what they think. And that may seem like a crisis, but I really feel like it's uncovering something that has always been there. And it's a great opportunity because you can only address things when they're willing to engage with you. You know, like (laughs) if I do a, a presentation, I love it when the students have questions, even if they're the most aggressive Yes. combative questions because it means I can actually engage the ideas. Yes. You can't really engage with silent disagreement, so to right, speak. Right, right. Yeah. But I, I would add, it's only helpful when you have something to say. <laughs> right. So that's what, I mean, right. I know this is why they pay me the big bucks. Uh, but it, like, it's only helpful if you're like, oh, oh, I know how to respond to that argument. I know how to engage and kind of pop the cultural myths and, and perceptions. Catherine, what do we say? <laughs> it depends on how good you are at following directions. So we teach a seven minute argument. Yeah, that works. And it's, yeah, it's, it's seven minutes. It works. I tell people just memorize it and say it. Mm-hmm. It'll work. And some of them listen to me and and some of them don't. But if you want something that's a little more easier than seven minutes of content, because that's well, it doesn't sound like a lot of time. That's a it's a pretty long. It's a a lot to remember. It's a lot to remember. Now would be a great time. We'll remind people at the end, but we should plug the podcast because you have a podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. And you go through the seven minute argument Mm -hmm. and kind of break it down for people and help people learn it right while they're doing their podcasting, walking their dog or whatever. Yeah, exactly. We teach every single thing we teach, it's all on the podcast. I've got five episodes kind of leading up to learning the argument that are kind of the foundation of how to even create an environment that allows you to be persuasive because there's a lot that goes into persuasion. And then I actually had go through the the whole seven minute argument, all four parts of it. I have a workbook that I'll email to people if they sign up for our email list and they get all of our supplies, everything. It's all there. It's that's awesome. It's totally available. Some people are like pausing now. Where where do they or they want to? Where where do they go to, yeah. to like subscribe? Yeah. So it's our podcast. It's called Pro Life in Seven Minutes. And the re- the name being because uh-huh. we persuade people to be pro life in seven minutes. I remember Whitney initially was like, "Oh, so you're only going to talk for seven minutes?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, 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 yeah, no." It's it's because we persuade people in seven minutes, um, and so you can learn our whole whole argument. But I do recognize that sometimes that's not attainable. And sometimes you don't have seven minutes. So we also teach on our podcast a little 30 second soundbite that you can use if you're in one of those scenarios where maybe you don't, you know, you're not prepared mm-hmm. to have a longer 10 minute conversation, so to speak. And so I find that that's a resource that we give to people a lot as well. Okay. Lay it on us. Okay. So I'll, I'll lay it on with like a, a story. Our intern at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, her name is Anna. So she was on campus and she ran across the Socialist Club that was uh, talking about pro-choice legislation. It was a very interesting yeah. kind and of Yeah, and this is group. like, this is socialist, not the social club. No, For those yeah, of you so- who, socialist. Who are yeah. listening at three times speed. It's just- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, socialist club. Um, okay, and they carry were, on. Yeah, and so they were, and they were trying to get her to sign a petition, 
which tip for yeah, a pro-choice legislation. That's fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so she went up to talk to them and she didn't have like they're a booth. It's busy. She's going to class. She doesn't have seven minutes. So she does our our 30 second um, soundbite. And it was very effective with the young man she was talking to. And so the first it's kind of three senses. So the first thing she said is, you know, I agree with you that unplanned pregnancies can create real problems. Now, this is really, really critical mm. and key because a lot of times we as pro-life people are so excited to defend the baby that we mm -hmm. forget to just take a moment to just acknowledge how really difficult unplanned pregnancies can be. And so just by taking a moment to to build common ground with this young man and be like, hey, look, I hear you. Like you, you care about women. You want society to do well. Like we actually both agree on that. Like there's yeah. no disagreement. Unplanned pregnancies, they can create real problems. And then she transitions to the next next sentence. I just don't think that killing an innocent person is an acceptable solution to those real problems. And the word killing an innocent person here is key because that's what abortion is mm -hmm. and that it's not acceptable because, mm -hmm. you know, technically it is a solution. But like nobody would say like, oh, like the foster care system is broken, so we should kill innocent foster children. That, obviously, people would be like, OK, well, maybe that's a solution, but that's not acceptable. Like that's not acceptable right. for society, not acceptable for the women, just not acceptable for the children. And then she finished by saying, you know, I think our laws should prohibit people from killing innocent people, which is why I think abortion should be illegal, because there's kind of this misconception that mm. pro-life people want to force a controversial religious view on other people. And what she's right. showing is like, no, actually, all I want is the most uncontroversial law, the law against killing innocent people to be applied to all people. Mm. That's great. Yeah. And so she said that to him. And what was beautiful about it is it's not necessarily going to persuade him because at the end of the day, he does not think the unborn is a person like you and I. But sure. what it got him to say is, I don't think it's a person. And she was like, and that is what we're actually arguing about. It's not socialism. It's not poverty. It's not the foster care system. It's when do we become a person? Right. Yeah. And so that was what was so beautiful about that 30 seconds is that he had been talking about all of these different things and she'd gotten him to, sh to see like, actually, this really isn't a debate about those things. This is a debate about personhood. Right. When? And, when? and that's yeah. a game we want to play. Just like, because the science is on our side, mm -hmm. you know, but like the science has always been on our side, but we've never been talking about the science, right? We, I mean, we've been talking past each other. So I love that. Okay. So repeat it just real quick, like the three sentences for, for people, because yeah, yeah. this is, this is gold. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, we have a whole episode also on our podcast where I go through it in depth. And then I also, when people sign up for our email list, I send out a little nice card that has it printed. So if you want to just print it out and just put it on your fridge, keep it in your, your nice. purse, or I guess you could print it small enough. You can maybe put it in a wallet too. You can have it as a reference as well. So I agree that unplanned pregnancies can create real problems. I just think that killing an innocent person is not an acceptable solution to those real problems. I think our laws should prohibit people from killing innocent people, which is why I think abortion should be illegal. That's awesome. That's probably less than 30. Is that 30 seconds? It's probably less. Yeah, I don't. I was. I was not. Time, I have no sense of time. So, <laughs> We're not timing it. Uh, yeah. So I was. Not, so I was not timing it. Okay. Now, I, this is a little bit of a of a of a tangent, but you have referenced a couple of times how the thirty second argument, this the seven minute argument, how it works, mm -hmm. and you actually have some data on that. And again, there's a part of me. Let's be careful. I don't want to nerd out too long and lose people. <laughs> but talk about the measurement. Talk about what the data is showing you. Because I, I think it's compelling and 
frankly encouraging. Yeah. So what we do is we, the way our volunteers start a conversation is they have us, we do a survey and we ask them if abortion should be legal in the five circumstances. And then if they know anyone who's had an abortion, uh, because we find that has a statistical impact on how mm. easy or hard they are to persuade, because no shocker, if someone is really pro-choice and has a personal experience with abortion, they are a lot harder to persuade than yeah. for someone it's not personal for. And so we go through this, the volunteers, they go through the survey, then they ask permission to present the seven minute argument. And then they, they present the whole argument just as we teach it. And then they ask at the very end, have you come to the same conclusion as me that abortion should be illegal in all circumstances because it kills an innocent person? And if the person says yes, then we consider that a persuasion. And so we mark that on the survey. If they say yeah. no, we call that no change. And then sometimes they'll already be pro-life or they won't actually get through the whole argument. So we have some other categories as well. And so we we do that and we collect those statistics. And so what we see is about one in five change their mind, are persuaded yeah. through that seven-minute conversation. Do you know how that compares with other methodologies? I mean, there's a part of me that's like, I suspect not, because I don't know if any of the other methodologies are actually measuring, Yeah. but the Abortion Dialogue Academy, I'm assuming that second word dialogue is pretty emblematic of who you are. That's a different approach compared to... Again, not trying to throw anybody under a bus, but you know some of the very large graphic images or other approaches to abortion. Do you have any, yeah, any sense of like how your methodology compares to other efforts? I don't, because obviously I I don't have access to their data if they have data. We're planning on doing a podcast episode on our statistics, and I'd love to just share with the pro life movement at large like how we measure things, mm -hmm. because I would like love it if other groups wanted to take our way of measuring. Because at the end of the day, yeah. we're all on the same team and we right. all just want to be effective. And if some other group comes along and they're like, hey, we took the seven minute argument and we made it 8.5 minutes and look at this uptick. Yeah. And they have some data, like a large sample size, and there can be some collaboration. I, yeah. I just think that would be an amazing. It'd be great if somebody were better yeah, at persuading I people. I yeah. know. I'm like, like someone, someone, yeah. Because actually, when we first got started, um, we only persuaded about 2% of the people we talked to. It's been over the years. We've gone through. So you, you measured from the beginning? Uh, not as well as we do now, but sure. yes, we always have. I was a business major, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah, economics. I, I love, I love my numbers. So we... We were at about 2% and it was every year we would get feedback from the students who were out having hundreds of conversations. And through yeah. that, we would change it every year. And we saw that uptick to the 20% we see today. So That's awesome. Yeah. I just love, okay, for those of you who are just starting, your eyes are glazing over. Jim is done being nerdy, but like, I love that. I feel like that is such a essential practice for us in the church, particularly as we find ourselves now in a very entrepreneurial new space is to measure and attend to getting better, to, to pay attention to like, is what I'm doing working? Is it bearing any fruit? And then to make adjustments. So I, I love that. Thank you. I think that's a that's an example. And I know it was nerdy, but I wanted to highlight it for, for oh, those of us who, who, yeah. are, who are really in that space, yeah. right? Where we're having to like reinvent uh, new ways to, to proclaim and, and share the good news. Well, I get excited too, because we're doing the same thing with our youth presentations. And so what we've yeah. been starting to study is what's the best way to present this to the kids? So, mm -hmm. so we'll do a youth presentation after school and have this like, you know, offer extra credit. 
And we see that the youth presentations at youth groups, they we have a higher rate of kids changing their mind, but it's a lot smaller group mm-hmm. versus when we do individual theology classes versus when we do all school assemblies. Mm. And also, you know, you do sometimes get the students who are like kind of annoyed that they're there. So like being creative in different ways that you can maybe you make the presentation like optional, but really desirable to come. And like, how does that impact yeah. Them. Oh, that's so great. You should probably have to cut all, all of my all no, of nerdiness. I, I, I but yeah, it. no, I, I, because it, it's like if we're going to present these information to these kids and it matters, and sometimes a child's life is the difference between someone becoming pro life, like reaching that best friend before her friend is pregnant can be yeah. the difference between her choosing life or not. It's really important that we are studying the way that we're doing these youth presentations and doing these college conversations because it's just so important that we're effective. So, yeah. Oh, I love it. Catherine, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You referenced that even before you gave the seven-minute argument on your podcast, you talked about how you set a context to even have a conversation. And that's something, if I can let people in kind of like on the like, yep, look, here's the behind the curtains here at the Equipcast. We always spend some time after we socialize and hang out and I get myself a cup of tea. We pray and we're like, okay, Lord, is there anything we want to say? And I got hit really hard today that it was very important for us to share and remind people that love comes first. Yeah, you know, that whenever you enter into a conversation, if you can, I don't want to say muster up, but if you can let the Lord fill your heart with love for the person you're talking to, it makes all the difference. Now, those are my words, but not yours. But talk a little bit about what you do to create a context so the conversation can be fruitful. Yeah, no, I. it's funny. When I we first launched the podcast, it took five episodes to get into the arguments. And I thought I was going to get kicked out of my mom's group because they were like, can you just hurry up and get there? But the love comes first concept, it is essential. So one of the things we, we teach is this concept of common ground and mm-hmm. how if you want to be persuasive, the pro-choice person has to be calm. And this is sometimes a little counterintuitive to us because we're like, abortion conversations can be calm. Like that's yeah. like, that's like well, not like, how It we- matters. Life is on the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they have to be calm. And the reason they have to be calm is because people are not good at thinking critically and rationally when they're agitated and upset. So if you're trying to persuade someone and they're emotionally upset, they're not even going to be able to hear what you're saying. And so you have to keep the conversation calm, but this is a controversial issue. And thus the love, which we would call common ground comes in. Um, And common ground is just the simple act of taking a couple of moments to say an area of agreement between yourself and the pro-choice person. Mm. And it sounds simple, but it's so essential and it absolutely revolutionizes the tone of conversations and it makes the conversations fruitful enough that the purchase person can actually hear the arguments. It's just when you take that couple of seconds, just like I did in the 30 seconds where I'm like, you know what? I actually agree with you. Unplanned pregnancies can create real problems. I agree with you. There are issues in the foster care system. I agree with you. Rape is a absolutely horrible, atrocious mm. criminal act and it, those perpetrators need to be punished more. Just that one sentence can really transform and make Mm -hmm. you a lot more effective and more persuasive. So yeah, that's huge. And again, you know, many of our listeners, we spend a lot of time talking about evangelization because I've got the microphone and that's one of my favorite topics, but building trust, it's, it's almost pointless to try and enter into a conversation until you have some trust. And what I, what I hear you saying is like, yeah, build trust by like saying you agree, acknowledge the evil problem issue that's tripping them up and leading them down the illogical path mm-hmm. to, well, let's fix it with abortion. 
Yeah, that's that's huge. Catherine, what should we not say in conversations? <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking, because I think ahead of time I was emailed, that was one of the questions you wanted me to yeah. think of. Like, what's the number one mistake I see pro-life people make? And I was like, okay, what is it? What is it? Or maybe just the top five. Top, <laughs> oh, top five. That would be, that'd be no, how long we got. I'm just teasing. No, but- yeah. Number one, I think actually uh, what I call it, I, I name it on my podcast. It's called Contradicting the Common Ground. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give some back stories yeah. to, to make it make sense. So there's pretty much three arguments for why people are pro-choice by and large. They're assuming that the unborn's not a person. Check. They're arguing that it's not a person, or they're saying it doesn't matter because of bodily rights. Now, most of what pro-choice people say actually is in that first category. They're just kind of assuming the unborn's not a person and they're making what we call circumstance arguments. Um, so they talk about things like poverty, the foster care system, a lot of societal issues. And you know that they're assuming the fetus is not a person because what they're saying wouldn't make any sense if it was applied to like a newborn baby, for example. Like nobody would say we need to be killing newborns to solve the foster care problem or nobody mm-hmm. would say, you know, hey, infanticide, this is a good solution to these societal issues. So what happens is purchase people say all these things, foster care, you know, poverty, whatnot. And pro-life people hear those kind of keywords. And what they do is they start arguing what should be common ground. So instead of saying, I agree with you, poverty is a really hard thing. Like, can you imagine trying to raise a child and not knowing how you're going to afford formula? Mm-hmm. Instead, they say, well, poverty is not that big of a deal. And, you know, like we can like right. we can just like that's, that's the not foster good, care system's fine. It's fine. And oh, like, gosh. here's this one yeah. statistic I read in 2008 about why, like, you know, Freakonomics yeah. is wrong. And what they they do kind of two it's problematic for two reasons the first is you unfortunately you sound like a jerk it's not a good look oh, which uh, is bad bad which is bad yeah okay got it people don't typically change their minds when they meet yeah. jerks it's yeah. like hey guys i met this jerk and he was really smart though and so it just <laughs> yeah, like it was persuasive yeah. yeah no typically people actually really like us when they change their mind they don't they don't hate us so you sound like a jerk is the first problem and the second problem is is you're actually taking the conversation away from the direction it needs to go mm-hmm. because if the person is assuming the unborn's not a person by talking about poverty and you start arguing with them about poverty well you're now further away from what you actually need to be talking about which is personhood, which is yeah. what was so beautiful about that 30 second soundbite that Anna did is notice how she got the conversation on personhood with the soundbite instead of yeah. taking his bait and being like, well, let's talk about why socialism is not going to make society better. Mm-hmm. She was like, you know, I agree with you. Maybe we don't agree on how we should solve these societal problems, but I agree with you that unplanned pregnancies do create them and we do need solutions. But killing an innocent person, it's not an acceptable solution. Yeah. And so now we're on what we actually need to talk about, which is personhood, not poverty or socialism yeah. or the foster care system. So that's the biggest mistake I see. It's it's actually the not doing the love. It's the contradicting the common ground instead of taking some time to build it. Yeah. But it's very easy to do if you're not trained because they said poverty. So it makes sense that you would talk about poverty. Right. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's huge. Catherine, what else? I feel like there's a lot of it just the language the the culture has changed in the way we think about it one of the things that you know oftentimes like we're we're talking past one another mm-hmm. what else do people need to avoid in a conversation about abortion that's such a hard question what else do they need to avoid this i mean there's so many things i mean i guess like if you if we want to talk about language like some people will comment that you want to keep the conversation 
calm. And so sometimes the language you pick can mm. can influence that. Oh, um, like inflammatory language. If you... Yeah. Although what's funny, though, is I people have commented before on the language I use because I tend to use very neutral, almost sterile terms. Like I frequently mm-hmm. call the unborn the fetus on campus. Um, they're like, why Why do you do that? And it's funny. It's, it's not even necessarily that it's upsetting to people, but you know what it is? It it communicates bias. When you mm. use two language that's too obvious what side you're on, you sound less credible, interestingly enough. Right. Because one of the things with our approaches is it's, it's funny, our name is the Abortion Dialogue Academy, but there's not a lot of dialogue to our approach. It's actually more of like a presentation approach, mostly because we sure. found it to be more persuasive to tell the pro-choice person who just woke up and maybe has barely drank their coffee, like, hey, I'm not putting you on trial right now. You're not going to be the defendant and me, the prosecutor. I'm actually going to have you be the judge. And you're going to sit there and listen. And I'm going to show you both sides. And I'm going to treat the pro-choice side with a lot of respect. And I'm going to mm-hmm. use really neutral terms. And I'm going to be like, here's the argument all laid out. And then I'm going to ask you for your verdict. And so that's the approach we take. And mm-hmm. we find that that neutral language is really important because it's kind of like having a judge that already doesn't like you and is already prone to siding with the invisible defendant that's yeah, not oh, there. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah so not- if you start calling the invisible defendant baby killer over and over that they already kind of lean towards that's you're not going to get a a good verdict from that judge and so that's kind of a difference in our approach is that it is a lot you're not putting the pro-choice person on the spot and you're intentionally using very calm language in talking about it the issue well i mean that makes so much sense to me Mm -hmm. right to to try and again with how tribal our society has become that Mm -hmm. like there are certain words and languages where people like oh you're one of those Mm -hmm. so i love that but I can also see how counterintuitive it is. 100%. Like, I want to say baby because it's a baby. Mm-hmm. And there's everything, you know, I want to scream it. But it, but it's actually better to say fetus. It's actually better to you know, to like to use neutral language. Yeah, which um, is so funny because every time I meet people who are like, you need to use kind of inflammatory language because it communicates the reality. I'm like, and they're like, words are important. And I'm like, yes, I actually totally agree with you. Words are important. I just... Think almost the opposite, which is funny how we have the same idea, but different different ways of coming at it. Yeah, but I mean, I think the neuroscience. I mean, you've got the data, but I think neuroscience is on your side because again, I had a moment where, as you were talking about trying to persuade people about something rational, that when the emotions ratchet up, they can't hear it anymore. And I was like, you know, back to parenting teenagers, and it's Mm -hmm. like I lose every time when I let emotion enter, and it's like, oh, I can see it. Their ears just fell off. There's so much emotion in this conversation that they literally, I mean, just physiologically, you know, neurologically, they cannot hear anymore. Mm -hmm. And so everything you're trying to do is trying to keep people's ears attached so they can keep listening because because they can't be rational if they can't hear. Yeah. They say rational. Rationale is low when emotion is high. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, that's great. Okay, so, Catherine, I want to go a different direction because this is a common challenge, I think, that I want you to speak into for many of our listeners, mm-hmm. and that is recruiting leaders. How do you recruit leaders to participate, to serve, to work for the Abortion Dialogue Academy? Yeah, well, we're actively right now. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you're asking me that because we're we're uh, we're in the process of actually trying to hire right now. So I guess if any of your listeners know uh, someone who wants to to come work for us, we 
with our youth presentation program, the demand for it has gotten so high that we've needed to bring on another staff person to help do these presentations. So That's we're looking great. for someone who you know loves public speaking. It's a, a lot of event planning, um, and then also someone who connects well with the youth. So you know yeah. you gotta you gotta be able to hang with Gen Z. Sometimes. You gotta like young people. Yeah, and hang with them and and be relevant. Because I honestly I did a presentation recently and I said a name of a store and someone was like, no one shops there anymore. <laughs> I'm a millennial and I'm already like not cool enough, which cracks me up. Sorry um, about that. Yeah. But yeah, so we're we're actually in the process of of looking to hire ourselves. So yeah, if there's anyone out there who's interested, um, they can go to our website and and check us out. I guess actually, have I said our website? Real quick. No, www.abortiondialogueacademy.org. We're hiring if somebody wants that to apply for that position. Um, but how do we recruit like the volunteers? The unserious answer is cookies <laughs> because they're college <laughs> students. So we, we run around with free food. But yeah, I think typically what we do is, you know, we invite them just to to come and try it out. That's typically the pitch mm. that we give is we're like, hey, I know this sounds absolutely terrifying. You're going to go up to a complete stranger and you're going to talk to them about abortion, but just do it once. And a lot of times they do it once. And a lot of times they'll even like that first conversation, if they do what we tell them to, they'll actually change someone's mind. Mm-hmm. And you'll see this like light bulb mm-hmm. turn on. Like I had this one volunteer. Talk in- about an adrenaline rush. Oh, yeah. I had this one volunteer in Lincoln. His name's Parker. And he's a freshman. And he was like, he seemed like he was like kind of doing it. And he, you know, he came out and he's doing his hour, his one hour because mm-hmm. he's agreed. I mean, he's four conversations in. And in that fifth conversation, the girl changed her mind. And it was just like night and day difference. And he was like, this works. And then he went on and talked to over 100 pro-choice people this year and changed wow. over 30 minds. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow. So we're That's lucky awesome. in the in the fact that if we can just get them to try it once, a lot of them realize like, oh, I may be super young and there's not a lot I can do, but I can go out there and I can change someone's mind. And that could be a new pro-life voter or a pro-life leader mm-hmm. or even someone who might get pregnant one day or know someone who gets pregnant, that can save a life. I mean, we've we've literally had one of our volunteers met a guy on campus who was pro-choice, who the day before had a pregnant friend call mm-hmm. him in panic. I'm pregnant. What do I do? And the guy's pro-choice. So he's like, oh, well, just get an abortion. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, the next day he meets our volunteer, Josh, on campus. And Josh persuades him with our seven-minute argument. And he realizes from that conversation, I need to call her back and tell yeah. her to choose life. Wow. And so I think for the young adults that do our program, there's so much ability to make a very real, tangible impact. It can be very exciting for them. So I think that's how we get them to do this absolutely insane thing called yeah. go and talk to 100 pro-choice people every single week in the snow, in the rain, yeah. <laughs> in the but, sunshine. But, you know, I love yeah. I just want to highlight because I, I think this is what's applicable universally is you're like, just try it. Just try it for an mm-hmm. hour. And I, again, I'm a, a reminded of, you know, there was a big small group initiative that we did here in the Archdiocese of Omaha. And again, kind of spoiler alert, really the, the message was to say, like, just try it. Just come to the training, invite someone to your living room. And very similarly, like, all of a sudden, maybe it doesn't happen the first meeting, maybe it doesn't happen the first, but people see God move. And speak to someone, you know, they like, they connect with the scriptures and they're like, holy crap, God just spoke to me. And it wasn't creepy at all. You know, they have this moment and they're like, wow. And, and I think that's a, that's an essential. Sometimes we, we do have to invite people to the greatness of our mission, but I think we have to make the first step small. 
And yeah. I love the way I love the way you did that. Yeah, we're always like try it once. In fact, one of our volunteers who went on to intern for us for multiple years, she had to be physically shoved in front of her first conversation. So I mean, that's yeah. okay. That's kind of a dubious. Yeah. Catherine, our time has flown here. So oh. I just want to give you one more question. Mm-hmm. Somebody's listening here and they're like, oh my gosh, like this is great and terrifying. And you know, they're they're kind of like they're feeling shoved right now. You mm-hmm. know, the, the spirit, their guardian angel is kind of moving them in a position. They're anticipating, you know, the 4th of July family gathering and the conversation that they know is going to happen. Where do people get started? Yeah. So honestly, it sounds like a shameless plug, but really go check out our podcast. Like go listen to the episodes, download the workbook. It's really the argument, the way we teach it is we're like, hey, just memorize it exactly the way we teach it. And just go up to your, if you, if there's a person that you really want to talk to about this issue, be like, hey, I'm listening to this podcast. They taught this argument. Like, is it okay if I show it to you? Mm -hmm. And people are very, I think we have this kind of myth about pro-choice people, like just because we see so much negative news and like, you know, Mm -hmm. people at protests but a lot of projects people are like yeah like i'll talk to you i'll have a conversation with you they're ordinary people yeah they are they're your brother and your neighbor and your co-worker and they'll and you'll sit down and you'll go through the argument with them and yeah and you'll find i think it'll probably surprise you that it can be a lot more agreeable than you realize yeah that's Mm -hmm. fantastic okay so give the what's the name of the podcast and then give the website again yeah so it's pro-life in seven minutes uh you can find us on any of the podcasting platforms spotify apple all the rest and then also if you're old-fashioned you can also just listen to all the episodes on our website as well um which is yeah yeah we have a whole just this just www.abortiondialogueacademy.org slash podcast and you can go Sign up for our email list. You'll get emailed all of the resources that we, they're all free, just everything we've got. And you can also listen to all the episodes on the website as well. Okay. And now for that person who says, I have a friend who has a question, but really they're feeling like they're supposed to work for you. Catherine, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah. So you can go to our website and actually read the whole job description. The application is everything. Once again, www.abortiondialogacademy.org slash careers this time. We're just Go there. We're hiring. Uh It's big and bold. And then if you want to, if you have any questions about the job or maybe you know someone who might be interested in applying, you can also email me at uh, Catherine.Burrow at AbortionDialogueAcademy.org. Okay. How do you spell Burrow? B-U-R-O-W. Oh, one R. Yeah, there's one R. One R. Okay. See. Awesome. Catherine, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thanks for being here. This is, this is fun. All right, everybody. You know somebody who needs to hear this episode, somebody who needs to get connected with the Abortion Dialogue Academy, for no other reason that they're going to have a conversation with friends and family on the 4th of July. So you know how to share it. Wait till you maybe stop driving, but then like share this out with a friend. 